Successful advisors need to be persuasive. But how do you combine that persuasion in a way that creates relationships that drive business? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. You know, it's tempting to talk about all of the technology that surrounds us and all of the newfangled gadgets that we can use, especially over the last year and a half to learn how to communicate better and the gear that we buy and webcams and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, for most salespeople, the challenge is that sales is a personal business. It's eyeball to eyeball, toenail to toenail. But most of all, it's about relationships. And the people who have thrived this year are the people who can make it through the screen and create relationships. But we always forget that. We seem to get distracted very easily in sales. And so we've asked Brian Ahern, who's author of Persuasive Selling for Relationship-Driven Insurance Agents. And I think all insurance agents should be relationship-driven. If you're not, I think you're going to have really skinny kids. But we'll talk about that with Brian. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me on, David. I've never heard it put that way, skinny kids. That's good. Well, I, I swiped that from Zig Ziglar, so you know, credit due where credit is due. Okay. Yeah, he wrote a great book years ago called Timid Salesmen Have Skinny Kids. And I've kind of yeah. always remembered that. That's good. I um, won't forget that one. Cool. So tell us a little bit about you and, and your background, because I think that gives us some scope about what, where the book comes from and why it comes from. Okay. Well, I started my career in the insurance industry. I have not yet met somebody who said, I want to grow up and get in the insurance industry. We all seem to fall into it. We all have our own story. And, and my story was, I was dating a girl and I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I had accepted a job after college or just before graduation. And then I got a letter from the Travelers Insurance Companies, had no positive associations with insurance, but I thought I owe it to her to go to the interview because the job was in Columbus. I liked what I heard, decided I could stick around family and friends, took the job. And then the very first day of work, I met my wife of now 33 years. So that's the best thing I got out of insurance in addition to a great career, but happily married for 33 years. And during my insurance career, started working in the sales area with a different company, got involved in sales training with field reps, eventually insurance agents. And I came across Robert Cialdini's material on influence. And as soon as I heard him talk about it, David, I knew this is the foundation of selling. This is why certain approaches work and why certain approaches don't. And I was so enamored with the science and psychology that I knew this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my career. And I started working with that almost two decades ago. And a little over two years ago, I left the corporate role to pursue this full time. Nice. So let's level set for the audience. What is persuasion? How do you define persuasion? 
That's a great question because I always say, you know, I, if I ask a dozen people, I probably get a dozen different answers. And what I hear most often is to change someone's thinking or to change their mind. And that might be a good first step, but quite often it's not enough. I mean, for anybody who's listening to this who's a parent, you know if you say to your son or daughter, clean your room, you don't want them to look at you and say, mom or dad, it's a great idea. You want them to get in and clean their room. You want to change their behavior. And so I think the best definition that I've come across in all my studies comes from Aristotle. Aristotle said persuasion was the art of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. And if you think about that, it's a great definition. They're not doing what you want or need them to do. How can you communicate with them to get them to do what you want or need them to do? That's interesting. How does that differ from influence, or is it all part and parcel of the same? I look at it all as, as the same. I look at influence as kind of the umbrella over everything, but the actual act of persuasion, and we talk about persuasion and what you do after. But really, for me, it's, it's all under that same umbrella. So, all right, let's, let's talk a little bit about persuasion. If you're, if you're an insurance advisor, how does persuasion fit into what you are doing and your approach to a prospect or a client? Okay, great question. Persuasion is about arranging for somebody to be receptive to your message before you ever ask. I like to call it setting the stage. What might you do to change where they are mentally, physically, or emotionally so that they're more open to what you might ask? And let me share a, a quick bit of research that will really drive this home. Then I'll answer how the agent can use this. Great. Imagine this, David, you walk into a grocery store and somebody like me greets you. And I say, hi, I work for a marketing firm. We represent ABC Company. They've just come out with a new type of pop. And we're asking customers, if you're willing to give us your email address, we'll send you an email with coupons for free samples. Would you be willing to give your email? And in that scenario, 33% of people said, sure. And they willingly gave their email. At a different time, 76%, two and a half times more people said yes to the exact same request. The difference, they used a persuasive opener. When you'd walk into the grocery store, instead of launching right into that pitch, I would ask this question, excuse me, do you consider yourself to be adventurous, the kind of person who likes to try new things? Well, that's called a single shoot question. You're looking for confirmation. We can all think of a time or two where we were adventurous and we can all think of times where we've tried new things. So virtually everybody said yes to that. Then they'd step in and ask, would you be willing to share your email? And we will give you an email for free samples. So they changed where they were mentally before they made their ask. And that was the difference between 33 and 76% because what followed was exactly the same. So when you understand that and you think if you're an insurance agent, Maybe somebody is very risk tolerant. They just don't want to buy much coverage. But you know, you know they have a risk. What might you say or do to get them into a more risk averse state of mind where, where they want to have that additional protection? And so you think about, you know, sights, sounds, surroundings. What, what are those things that you might tap into that might get that person more conservative in their thinking so they're more open to entertaining the idea of taking this coverage that you, as that professional, know they need. So translate that into what, as an insurance advisor, you might use as an open and then a follow-up. In terms of an open and a follow-up, if you're talking with somebody who is very risk-tolerant, but you want them to be more risk-averse, or is that... If you want to increase your chances, if you went from 33 to 78%, if you want to increase your chances 
of turning a prospect or a qualified prospect into a client mm-hmm. and you want to use a persuasion question, would you ask the same kind of thing about risk if you were trying to move them like from a fully insured to a partially self-funded plan? Or how would that actually work in a sales situation? So that would depend on exactly on what you wanted to accomplish with that person. Again, okay. somebody might be risk tolerant and you want them to be more risk averse because you would just not feel good as that agent if something that was potentially uncovered. Then there may be the opposite where somebody may be spending too much money on their insurance protection and they could be investing it elsewhere. And so you need them to be more risk tolerant. And so you're going to use language that might get them to think about being more risk tolerant. So those those would probably be questions about, you know, when's the last time you did something that was a little bit, for example, adventurous, a little bit out of the box where you you, you took a risk. And once they start talking about, ah, I remember when I did this, that starts working on them mentally where they might be a little bit more open when you put on the table. I think we should maybe go ahead and reduce or remove this coverage because it's just really not needed for you. Some people are going to come in and, and have more coverage than they actually need in a situation for their particular business. And and your job as an advisor is to help them weigh those risks and say, what is the right amount of coverage for your risk tolerance and given your business and what's on the line in terms of your assets? And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. Since we're talking about conversation, let's skip ahead a little bit and talk about, you, you make a point of talking about listening in the book. And, you know, I've always told the folks that I've trained that it's it's a really interesting paradox that listen and silent have the same letters in them. How important, once you ask one of those persuasion questions, is just sitting there, being silent, and letting the prospect talk? It's essential. Now, you can certainly interject when you need to, and and I use the acronym, and you read the book, so you know this, of listening stars. And the first S in the word stars is stop. Stop everything you're doing. Uh, You cannot multitask. Science is very clear about that. You need to give your full attention to the person that you're speaking to. The T stands for tone. Pay attention to tone because quite often it reveals the emotional state of where somebody is. I learned this a long time ago. As I said, I've been married for 33 years. If I ask my wife, how are you doing? And she goes, fine. (laughs) I know she's not fine. I can tell by the tone. So I, I, I will probe. And then the A is ask. Ask clarifying questions. If you don't understand something, it's okay to say, hey, David, can we hold on a second? What did you mean by? That shows I'm involved in the conversation. That's also helping me clarify that I understand what you're saying so there's not going to be miscommunication. And we know that because then when we get to the R, I restate what it is that I think you've said and the problem maybe if we're talking about an insurance situation, the problem that you are trying to solve. 
And hopefully you'll give me confirmation about that's exactly it, Brian. You're right on. If you don't, then I can say, you know, help me understand. And we go, we circle back and we continue to have that conversation. And the final letter in stars is S, which means scribble. Take notes. Not the next American novel or anything like that, but just bullet point some notes so that you can come back and address things. For example, if you mentioned you were in a car accident, I don't have to stop you right there and ask all the details, but I have a note and I can circle back and I can say, tell me more about that accident. When did that happen? What was the situation, et cetera? And I think if people followed that STARS model, they would be significantly better when it comes to their listening skills. And every one of the things that I talk about is a choice. When we say it's a skill, it's not a skill that you don't possess. Like, I never could dunk a basketball. I'm only five foot nine. I weigh about 210 pounds. I was really into weightlifting and things, but I could never jump. I could never dunk a basketball. That's a skill that I do not and will not ever possess. But listening starts with a choice. And the more you make the choice, the better you get at it. And yet one of the things that you talk about in the book is seems to be the antithesis of that, which is advisors show up and throw up. And that seems to me always to preclude conversation. I think there was a study out of Purdue's business school a couple of years ago that C-suite level people would much rather have a conversation than see any kind of a presentation. How do you transition from that comfortable place of, I have a PowerPoint, it's got 8,432 slides, and I'm going to show them all to you in the next 10 minutes, to being able to have that conversation and being able to stop and listen? Mm -hmm. Well, I think in, in the case of insurance agents, I would never expect an insurance agent to launch into some kind of presentation the first time they met them. I think, the, you know, if you, when you're looking at the sales cycle and, and prospecting is just hoping to get that opportunity for the first meeting. In that first meeting, one of the biggest things you need to do is build rapport. Now, you may not do business with me, David, because you like me, but it's almost guaranteed if you don't like me, you'll never do business with me. So, so that is that is kind of laying a foundation. And once we start to build that rapport and in that process, part of what should happen with me is I use this principle that we call liking. And, and liking simply says it's easier for us to say yes to those we know and like. But this isn't so much about you or me getting you, David, to like me. This is about me coming to like you. And the more I get to know you, the more I find out things that we have in common, the more I can see things that are worthy of a compliment and I pay you those compliments, I am convincing myself what a good guy you are. And that makes me want to put forth my best effort. And if you're really sensing that, if we're having an authentic conversation and you think, wow, this guy, Brian, I, I like him, but, but I can sense he really likes me, you become much more open to whatever I might put on the table in terms of your insurance protection, because deep down, we believe that friends do right by friends. And the more I get to know and like you, the more I do want the best for you. And I say that we, we create kind of a virtuous cycle in that. So there's no chance to launch into the 8,000 slide presentation if I'm really following this pattern. But by the time I get there, and I might say, you know, David, it seems like we've got something going here and, and I would love to do business with you. Could we have another conversation maybe at another time where we really dive into your insurance needs? And assuming I'm going to be able to meet those needs, I'd like to come back and share with you a proposal and how I would see our agency working together with you. Is that fair? And I think if we've built that rapport, you're probably like, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to have you take a look at this. Oh, but you use the A word, which is authentic. And I think, you know, in my experience training advisors, an awful lot of folks go out and they try to be a character. They try to be who they think the prospect expects to see, 
rather than being themselves. Is, is there some way to break that cycle and to remember to just be who you are and that not everybody's going to like you and do business with you, but the people who do like you and who do do business with you may be clients for life? Absolutely. I think a great way is, is starting with yourself and knowing who you are. Ben Franklin said there's three things that are extremely hard, steel, diamonds, and to know oneself. And once you get to know yourself and you're comfortable with who you are, that's where I think you start to become authentic. So I will say, I know that I come across most of the time as a pretty serious person. I mean, that's just the look that I, that I have. Mm-hmm. And I do sometimes to such a point where my wife literally for my birthday a few years ago got me smiling lessons. She hired a guy to teach me how to smile. Wow. Okay. And, but, but what I have learned about myself is my more serious nature, and I'm actually not very serious when you get to know me. You know, the conversation we were having beforehand, we were laughing about some things. I'm really not nearly as serious as I look, but I've learned to be comfortable with that because then when I say something that's funny, it cuts across the grain, it comes across even better because people are like, oh, I didn't expect that. And that's where I have a lot of fun. Like when I'm on stage, I can really read an audience and and sense that. And so I've become very comfortable with that. I am not going to try to be slap in the back, uh, glad handing, happy go lucky, laughing and be somebody that I'm not because that would come across terrible. But when I come across as who I am and I just naturally, you know, joke and, and things, that's where I think people really respond. And so the, for the audience, it's get to know who you are, leverage the things that you have that are strengths in a way that just feels so comfortable to you that it makes the other people feel comfortable as well. In, in addition to knowing who you are, you have to spend some time knowing who your prospect is. And I know one of the things that you talk about in the book, and for some people this may be old hat, but they don't really think about it, is this driver-expressive, amiable, logical quadrant system. Can you give us a little bit of background about that, where it came from, and how to best use it in a, in a quick read of your prospect? Sure. Well, when I started doing training around Robert Cialdini's principles of influence, there was a young guy that worked with me at the insurance company, and we had brought in some outside firm to do some baseline sales training. And one of the things that they did was they looked at a four quadrant kind of a disc profile. And I'd been through that type of training before, and it was like never utilized after the training. It was a waste of time, and I didn't want this training to be a waste of time. And this young guy said, it would be really cool if we could somehow align these principles of influence with these different personality styles. I thought, that's a good idea. So I surveyed my blog readers, and I would ask them to self-identify, and I'd give them the characteristics of what I call a driver, which is a task-oriented, controlling individual, an expressive, which is the relationship-driven person, but still likes to be in control, amiable, that's the relationship person, but more focused on self-control, and then the logical is the task-driven, self-control-focused. And I, I changed some of the words around because that spells deal. And we deal with people every day, and as salespeople, we hope to close deals. So I think it makes it very memorable. But I let the blog readers self-select, and then they went in and they took these surveys. And I had a young actuary work with me. We analyzed the results, and he gave me a thumbs up that the results looked valid. And then I could come back to people and say, you know what? It appears that there are certain principles of influence that are more effective with a driver versus an expressive or an amiable or a logical. So it was just a different way to look at how to use this psychology if you felt you had a handle on the person that you were interacting with. 
That makes sense. We've got a couple of minutes left. I was intrigued by one of the things you said towards the end of the book, which is a, a concept called close without closing. What is closing without closing? The number one question I was always asked when we would start the sales workshop was, what's the best way to close? And my response to that was, the best way to close is the first time you look somebody in the eye and you shake their hand. Everything builds from there. And if you do your job well, if you are utilizing these principles of influence to inform people along the way, because you're understanding how people think and behave, and so you're communicating in a way that makes it easier for them to understand the merits of what you're offering. If you're doing this well along the way, if you're looking to utilize what's called the upfront close to clearly find out what's going to be required for them to make a change and potentially do business with you, then everything should be flowing into just a natural conversation so that you're not having to put some kind of hard close on somebody. But towards the end, to be able to say, you know, David, when we first talked, you said that if you were going to make a switch from your current agent, whom you've been with for quite a while, you were going to need A and B and C. I think we've not only done A, B, and C, but we've enhanced your program by doing D and E as well. Is there any reason we can't go ahead and just get the paperwork going today and just have that very conversational approach? I'm reminding you of what you said you needed to do I've, or what I needed to do, and I'm clearly showing that I've done those things. And that taps into this principle we call consistency. And then I'm just being very clear and asking for what I would hope for, and that is, can we do business together? And that's a great place to end our conversation for today. Brian Ahern, author of Persuasive Selling, and we'll link to the book, and we'll also make sure there's a link to Brian if you want to reach out and and talk to him and learn more about what he does. Brian, thanks for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.